Welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, where I interview the absolute best health and wellness practitioners from across the globe to show you what they do so that you can do it too. This is because, like you, I did not always feel that health was easy. I had tried different diets, countless exercise plans, but often felt misled by an industry that thrives on you not really getting healthy and always spending money on the next new thing. Because of this, I'm getting bare naked on health and pulling back the curtain to show you that being truly healthy is simple. Wherever you are in your health journey, I want to show you that with minimal effort, you can get maximum results and do what you love, play with your kids, go for a hike, and crush it in your business all while feeling great. To give you a kickstart, I encourage you to go over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to get the top 10 world-class nutrition tips from the experts that have been on the show, and you will see what simple health can be. Hey guys, I'm your host, Nick Horowski, and welcome to the Bare Naked Health Podcast, episode number 65. In today's episode, I interview Kettlebell Master of Sport, Mike Salemi. Be sure to stick around for the end of the show to learn what Mike's favorite work-in exercise is, how he fuels up after a great workout, as well as why you should always achieve a 1-3% to gain in the gym. Alrighty guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bare Naked Health Podcast. And on the line today, I have Mike Salemi. Now, Mike, first question I ask everybody who comes on the show is, tell us about your health journey in 10 sentences or less. Sure, sure, sure. You know, my health journey is really tied to my athletic journey. Um, and that really started as, as a young kid, you know, roughly around the age of 10 in gymnastics. Um, and I was fortunate enough at that time to be coached by a two-time uh, Olympian. He's from, he was from Bulgaria. And at that time, all us kids wanted to be like him, right? You have this, it was right <laughs> after the, the Atlanta Games. And I remember he used to do this kind of uh, balloon trick with his biceps. He used to inflate his uh, yeah. biceps, right? <laughs> We're like, man, I want to be like that guy. And from 10 years old, the first thing he, he all told us, he goes, if you want to be the best athlete you can be, you have to get rid of all the junk food. You have to eat just real food. And so from 10 years old, that's kind of where, where it started. And, you know, it carried on through uh, competing at a high level in powerlifting. And that's really during those years of powerlifting, that's where I started getting exposed to the work of Paul Czech. Yeah. Um, and you know, years I had really growing up in an Italian household, pasta was at least two meals a day. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, it was a little bit hard, you know, growing up in, in that sense. But, uh, you know, I had a lot of health, uh, a lot of GI issues growing up. Um, you know, spent about two years working with a functional medicine practitioner to clear up some fungal infections, parasites, all that jazz. Um, and really it's kind of just culminated more recently in the last three years now working one-on-one with Paul. Um, I went to go see Paul to kind of iron out some orthopedic issues that I was facing in my current sport, which is kettlebell sport. Um, and you know, healed a lot of GI stuff with him. It's, um, and that's really where I'm at right now. Is, is kind of working with Paul and, and getting to that next level. Well, then, two questions on that. What what was maybe the first turning point when you started with him? Like, what, what was something that just kind of hit home and just kind of really even changed? Like you said, you'd always been centered on health, but what changed at that time when you started working with him? 
And also, what's the most recent thing that you've uh, really implemented with your health? Uh, I think the turning point for me, so really, you know, I've been competing in kettlebell sport for about seven years now. And the first four years of that was, was anything but easy. Every single time I would try and do, honestly, an effort at above, you know, 80%. So anytime I would do a decent effort in training and competition, I would get a complete loss of feeling in the left arm, massive swelling in the forearm, uh, and I'd be forced to drop the bells down. And the common medical advice at the time was either you quit the sport that you love or you get surgery for which they weren't even positive of what was causing the issue. Not, not too good of options there. Yeah. Not too good. <laughs> so, yeah, me, you know, I'm just like I refuse to accept either of those. So I kind of went you know, on a two-year journey working, on, working with about nine different practitioners, learned a ton about myself, but no one could kind of really solve the root cause. And I was going competition after competition, getting in kettlebell sport. One of the highest ranks is called master of sport, and I was and I one level. To touch on this, if you if you wouldn't mind, because that was one of the questions I was going to have for you. If you can just share with everybody a little bit about what that's about, because that's a big deal, and congratulations on that too. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, it's been seven years hunting that goal. Um, yeah, ma master of sport, and in kettlebell sport, classically, there's two main events. You have a snatch combined with a double kettlebell jerk, and that's called biathlon. And then you have a double kettlebell clean and jerk. And that's the event that I classically compete in. And we have to do that with two 32-kilogram bells, one in each arm, continuous for 10 minutes without setting them down. <laughs> so you can uh, imagine. Everybody needs know. to understand, though, like that is more than 10 minutes. <laughs> it, it, when you're feeling it, that, that's a very significant amount to try and do that at. Yeah, I mean, even just, even just farmers walking for for three minutes, you know, try try to hold two thirty two two thirty two kilos without setting down. I mean, it's a, it's a ball buster for sure. Uh, but that's why I love it. <laughs> you know, so you know, I, I spent competition after competition. You know, getting within just a few reps of that master of sport, the highest ranking in the sport. And what is and the just, number for that? Um, in my weight class currently, it's forty eight reps. Okay. So forty eight reps nonstop, and um which is in the 78 kilo weight class. Okay. And you know, I got close every competition and it was just emotionally just just destructive. It was so hard that you know, you train so hard. Physically I was there, mentally I was there, but I just had this one orthopedic issue that was holding me back. So I remember at the end of one competition, I was in a hotel room and I was like, you know, almost like a like a come to god moment where, you know, I was almost in tears and I was like you know, if something, you know, if there's someone out there who can help me right now, you know, please, you know, I'm kind of in a low spot and, you know, I need some support. And I had written an email to Paul's assistant, Vidya, a few weeks prior. Uh, and that was during the time of the move when they were moving the Institute. And I had not heard back. So that night I wrote an email to Vidya and I was like, you know what, this is just going to be my last ditch effort. If there's anyone who's an expert at solving medical failures, it would be Paul. Um, and to my surprise, first thing in the morning, I had an email in my inbox saying, so happy you reached out. We're sorry we were, you know, moving and, uh, we'd love to set up an appointment. So that's, that's really how, you know, I think when the, uh, when the student's ready, the teacher appears. And for me, it took a pretty low spot and, uh, the pain teacher to pay a good visit for me to kind of, um, you know, that was a big turning point for me for sure. And where are you now on that uh, either health journey, kettlebell journey, wh whatever it may be? Uh, where, where, what 
what situations are you in now? What are you working on? What are you striving for next even? You know, right now it's kind of uh, I'm in a I'm in a good place. I'm in a happy, happy place. The last competition I entered, I'm also trying to be the first North American to achieve master of sport with two forty kilogram kettlebells, which is more not very many organizations offer it. There's really only one that I know of, and it's more of like a feat of strength category. So in the last competition I was within I got within two reps of master of sport with the forties. And I'd been training for it for now almost two years. And then um, I got a little wild hair in me, so I decided to also enter in the double 32 class just about maybe two hours after. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember calling Paul. I was like, Paul. He was watching on, on the, the live stream. Yeah. I was like, Paul, I'm going to compete again. He's like, what? You <laughs> he was all right. Let you know, go for it. <laughs> um so I did compete again, and it was probably one of the, the happiest and proudest moments that I've had as, as an athlete to date. I ended up getting um, 50 repetitions. Uh, the current national record was 49, and then Master of Sport, like I was explaining earlier, was 48. So as a second competition of the day, got my first 10-minute Master of Sport with zero. And th- this is really what, what speaks to my heart is it was with zero arm pump. It was with zero compartment syndrome. I left, you know, walked off the platform feeling, you know, energetically just absolutely spent, but, you know, with, with no, you know, no injuries or anything like that. So that, that meant a lot to me. That is awesome. That's a great story right there. Like, but that shows to, I'm sure, the mental training that you've had to go through. Because, yes, physically, we know our bodies can handle more than we ever throw at them. But to know that, okay, you just went all out with the 40s. Within two hours, you're doing another all-out effort, and not only uh, exceeded what you wanted, you set the record. Like, what type of mental training have you done to really set yourself up to be able to succeed at that level? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, for me, it's like the thing that one of my strongest suits is my discipline. Um, you know, in my routine, my daily rhythm. So. For me, it's just staying committed to the process, and, and every single day, it's like, you know, working with Paul, he, he's really, you know, I've always had more or less a holistic outlook on training and, and physical health, but he's really given me a lot of, a lot of key markers to look for. Like, so for example, uh, to put that in context, every single day when you wake up in the morning, you should be able to exceed your last performance by at least 1% to 3%. If you can't do that, you honestly, and you're honest with yourself, you do not belong in the gym. And so working with Paul, we use a very um, pinpointed system. We used uh, his daily readiness assessment each and every single day, a four-doctor system. You know, I would get coaching with Paul. And if I woke up, you know, and any one of those markers of my readiness that morning was not there, like I didn't feel mentally like I had it, you know, whether I was going through something, you know, at work the day before or a relationship challenge tracking that stuff cycle to cycle I really started realizing how that impacts you know my readiness to train just my overall health and vitality so for me um using my strong suit the discipline that aspect of my you know kind of my character I just use that incorporated in my routine and every single morning I just made sure you know I got to come in ready to bang and if I'm not then it's going to be a work in day or it's going to be a chill day but I think just that pattern and that routine day in and day out coming in ready, you know, helps a lot. And then you're, you're not going in drained, right? We're training. We're not draining. So you're coming in with some oomph. Uh, you're coming in excited. Um, and that's how it should be. That's, that's what training is all about. So what does your daily rhythm even look like then? Uh, maybe training days, non-training days, uh, how they differ? 
Yeah, yeah. So today is going to be a training day. It's Saturday, which is a little bit, you know, different. But so I get a little take take some more time. But you know, I'm typically, especially if it's during the week, like I'm up around 5 a.m. Get up, go downstairs, have my glass of water. Usually, you know, two glasses, and then I hop right into a cold shower, get my system nice and amped up, and then uh, right after that, I typically put some food in in the oven. Really, my my post train, my favorite meal of the day is post training. I never thought about that until you said that right now. Like I'm, I, I just finished up. I was out in the garage doing something, came in, just grabbed a bite, and just every bite though is so delicious. Uh, and I don't know, I, I never thought about that actually. Like I recognize that now, but thank you for saying that. Like that just hit home with me too. So um, yeah, when it's real food, man. When it's real food, not as you know, I, I don't really have too much of an opinion or, or on shakes or anything like that, but. Uh, when it's real food, man, it's amazing. You know, so I'll throw in something simple, maybe some sweet potatoes that you know that I cooked a few days before. Throw them in the oven, and then usually around 6 a.m., I've got one of my. She's a client, but also another master of sport uh, and a good friend of mine. So she trains with me at around six. So she comes in around six, and then you know we do our training together. And immediately after, and and this is also why it's my favorite time of day. Right after training, you know, we sit down at the table. We share in a you know simple but beautiful meal, and I got to tell you what, man, no joke. It has been having a hot meal immediately after training has been like the most not only physically nourishing thing, but emotionally. It's been so emotionally nourishing to sit down and have like even just like a few sweet potatoes with some good butter on there, some good salt. It's it's uh it's something I enjoy you know to nourish myself but also to share with someone else um, especially after you know each training is a celebration and so that's that's one thing it's really each day a celebration for what you know whatever we did in the gym whatever skill we worked on whatever character building exercise we went through so I usually will train have my meal and then I head right to um, to our office which uh, I'm also I work full time for a family business so work all day and then. I've got a gym at our warehouse, so I'll usually do on a training day, I'll do a double day, train after work, go home, do a little Tai Chi as my, uh, I have an infrared sauna warms up, sauna it up, eat dinner, and then maybe read and I'm in bed no later than 9.30 each night. As far as your training then, uh, if you're doing a double, are, are these long workouts, are they short workouts, where, where does that fall, or I guess maybe it all depends on really where you're at in your training cycle. It depends what the what the cycle's looking like. Uh, the durations more or less are always the same, just in terms of like the exercise selection. You know, if it's a base conditioning phase, it's going to be totally different than a pre competition phase or a sport specific phase. So the durations are more or less the same. Now I, I get teased all the time by like some of my teammates and, and stuff because my warm up takes forever. But for me, there's a system and there's a process, and I, and I love it. You know, I for me it takes. You know, give or take an hour, you know, to go through some core temperature warm up, to go through some joint mobility, some mobilizations, myofascial release, then corrective stretching, and then I get into training. And that's really my time to go kind of inward and, you know, check in how I'm feeling, you know, what's tight, what's not, what's blocked, what's, what's, you know, kind of do a, an inventory, you know, each day, focus on my breathing. So there's a, there's a good long drawn out, you know, hour for warming up, but, Honestly, the training in and of itself is always quite short. Like it's never more than thirty minutes. So, yeah, it's like maybe hour and a half ish, you know, in and out the door. But like I said, I don't like rushing training at all. I like taking my time, and it's really the the happiest moment of the day for me. 
So I want to switch gears here. We've talked a lot about kettlebell, the training, uh, even just overcoming some orthopedic injuries. Uh, I'm curious, what do you like to do with your free time? A lot of it is just doing nothing. <laughs> you know, I'm, I've got so many goals and so many things, so many aspirations, and I'm, I'm pretty ambitious. But, you know, when there's, if there's a, a lull in the day or, you know, I'm carving out or making time or scheduling time so it's just, you know, me, honestly, taking a nap, reading, chilling out in the sauna, just no agenda. I've got a, a puppy, uh, a little Roddy. So, you know, if I can just go to the park and just hang with her and just soak up some of that good energy. Yeah, it doesn't have to do a lot. I do plenty during the day. So for me, free time is, is really unbound play time. So what are you reading right now? Right now, I think I got it right next to me. The Anatomy of Movement. Yeah, The Anatomy of Movement is my, my current book right now. What's maybe the biggest takeaway from the book so far? So right now, um, so I work full time in our in a family business, which is in the the marble and granite industry. But you know, since I was eighteen, I've always been a strength and conditioning coach at some level. And really, right now is a transition to where I'm kind of transitioning out of the family business and pretty much more into really what is my dream and my passion, which is to inspire balance within athletes. So. I've just started doing a series of workshops, um, some of which are on nutrition, some of which are on kettlebell training. But one of the ones I'm most passionate about is called uh, Healthy Shoulders and Spine for Kettlebell Athletes. And, you know, it really stems from just my, you know, my journey, you know, rehabbing my own injuries uh, and working with Paul to rehab them. So for me, the, the biggest takeaways have to do with making, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to school for, um, you know, as a kinesiologist or anything like that. So learning this stuff through the Czech Institute and just not throughout my own kind of um, explorations, this book has been just a, an amazing book. It's you know not too hard to follow, but just starting to make connections. You know, the deeper I get in with anatomy, I've always been fascinated by the body. Making you know correlations to how those have been impacting you know what I was experiencing. You know, one of the just just thinking about just the the construction of the spine, right? Like the one of the main compensations that we see in kettlebell sport, for example, is you know due to a lack of thoracic range of motion, mobility, flexibility, we tend to see a lot of compensation in the lumbar spine. You know, the the lumbar spine tends to go into hyperlordosis. So just understanding that you know the construction of the lumbar spine due to the facet joints are orientated in such a way they move best, you know, with flexion extension, whereas the thoracic spine due to the ribs are a little bit more. Um, relatively speaking, uh, inflexible. So just understanding just some simple correlations and, and bringing that back and also incorporating that into the workshops for, for people to kind of have their own takeaways and their own aha moments um, has been really cool for me. So with this, following this passion, what is kind of on the horizon for you? What are you working on? How are you developing this to, to grow it further? Man, this uh, I've got I've got quite a few projects going on right now, but probably the one I'm most excited about is I've been working for really since I started with Paul, so well over two years. I think Paul and I have been together for like three-ish years now, um, developing a Czech kettlebell certification. So that's something that uh, I've been writing the manual for a long time, pretty much an hour or so, maybe roughly every night, and then pretty much my weekends are just dedicated to to that a lot of times. So this, in, in my experience and in my opinion, is going to be uh, quite a revolutionary course. Um, you know, it's going, it's going to be, you know, excellent material. Don't get me wrong on how to safely train with kettlebells, 
how to maximize your performance depending on whatever your goals are. But really what excites me the most is it's going to be coupled with uh, Paul will be developing an athlete self-management course. So anyone who comes in to the program will already have had to have gone through this prerequisite. So they'll already have had to, you know, been at least exposed to at some level how to how to care for themselves, how to, you know, monitor when they're, you know, when they're draining and not training, uh, how to look at some markers for health vitality and and to to relate them directly to a, a training, you know, a, a, a training outcome, which to my knowledge there's nothing out there, at least that I know of, that combines both, you know, both these systems. Uh, a very the highest level of kettlebell conditioning and performance with, you know, management of the person. Which, you know, Paul is very good at a lot of things, but Paul's Paul's knowledge is, is quite quite vast on that, and he can help a lot of people. So, yeah, that's the most exciting I would say project that I've been working on, and it's been it's so tied to my own you know, my own training. And the more I, the more I learn, the more I compete, you know, the reason why, one of the reasons why I love competing so much is because, you know, there's no problem at all with just training to train and training for health and wellness. That's, that's a great aspiration. But when you're training for sport, the, the intention is different, right? You want to beat the guy next to you, you know, or, (laughs) and not, not, not that you don't need to have that, you know, with your training partner or whoever you may be training with, but the, the mindset, you know, in my experience is a little bit different. So the better of an athlete that I've become, the more kind of tests that I've gone through in the gym, outside of the gym, it, it's just made, to, in my experience, the course, the course content that much better. Uh, well, I can't wait till that, uh, that starts up so I can uh, check that out. I, ne- I need to work on my Turkish get-up a bit. <laughs> uh, very cool. No, and that's, that's awesome. I think that's something you see is there still is a lot of teachings of kettlebell work. You'll, you'll see people going over it, but... I think that balance of uh, it's always just, okay, this is what kettlebell is. This is how you train for it, not how do you recover? How do you just become a better athlete overall? So it sounds like that full picture of uh, everything is coming together, which sounds beautiful to see. Yeah, I mean, you know, think of it like this. I mean, if let's use powerlifting as an example. You know, if you've got, you know, if you can squat a thousand pounds, amazing achievement, right? But if you're still a shitty husband, a shitty boyfriend, a shitty father, like what lessons have you really learned that have that what what lessons have you learned in the gym that have really carried over into your daily life and that's really you know the 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 better athlete that someone is hopefully the better managed they are hopefully you know the better father the better husband the the lessons that you learn in the gym should ideally carry over to everything else that you do uh, and that's hopefully what what I hope to share and also to have this 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 understanding of the training aspect really as only three and a half wheels on a car, right? There's it's only the workout component. There's you know the work in component of movement. Then you have the rest and repair side of things. You have the mental emotional side, and then you have the nutritional side. It's just one small aspect of the whole picture. So to put it in context to where for people to understand that, you know, it is important, you know, to train, it is important to be physically active. But, you know, if that's all we have, then, you know, and and I face this reality pretty harshly, it's like, if that gets taken away from us for some reason, whether it's an injury, or, you know, something happens, then you're left with almost like, you know, if that's been your whole life, the question is, who am I without it? And that can be pretty scary. And it is, it is scary. So just to have just a little bit more of a, of an integrated perspective of the whole, you know, physical training and physical culture, I think would be, it's, it's helped me tremendously to get more fulfillment out of my lifting in my own life. And I think it can do, you know, the same with a lot of people who resonate with that message. 
So going along the lines there of outside of sport or training or whatever it may be, what is your definition of happiness? My definition, uh, as it makes sense to me right now, is just waking up excited. You know, without, you know, the first thing when you open your eyes in the morning is just, you know, waking up and just saying, fuck yeah. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be doing what I'm doing. And today is going to be a great day. And if that's not how I'm waking up, then I know there's something, some things I got to look at uh, because that's how I want to wake up every day. What do you do if you don't wake up like that on a certain day? How does your day change? That's a good question. You know, it, it might be, you know, if that doesn't happen, you know, just some, some additional time for some self-reflection, you know, to look at what's, you know, what, what's going on. It, it could be something that happened the day before that kind of set me off or, or something like that, or I may not feel like I'm moving at the pace at which I should be moving towards my dreams or um, comparing myself to others. Um, so a lot of times it has to do with just sitting down and either it's journaling or going through a meditation. But before this, the day starts, try to make it a habit of getting up, you know, reflecting on what's going on, putting some awareness around that, and then engaging in some type of either actually jotting down what's going on or some type of breathing exercise just to kind of focus back in. Um, a lot of times what happens when I'm in that state and it's not so good of a day, I find that I'm more up in my head, you know, and less in my body. Uh, so anything I can do to kind of go back inward tends to really help. Um, and for me, the, the easiest and the quickest way is to go in is to breathe. So checking my breathing um, and again, just being mindful about asking my question, asking the question like, you know, if I'm not bullshitting myself, how am I feeling right now? And, you know, if I'm honest, then, you know, if I'm not feeling great, then, then answering the question that, you know, right now I'm not in a good spot. Um, and that's okay too. Because I think, you know, a lot of my life and even just my nature tends to be more along the lines of a, like a bliss bunny, you know, and, and always trying to see the positive and be optimistic. And that's great. But when you bottle up what's going on, uh, what, what may be really going on then, you know, it's going to come out in some way, shape or form at some point. So I think it's always good to, great to have a positive outlook and an optimistic outlook on, on things. But at the same time, you also want to be real, um, real with yourself and, and, and feel what you're feeling in that moment. So, um, I definitely want to, uh, you know, appreciate those moments when I might not be as positive or, you know, I might not wake up with gusto, but just know that it's going to pass. Um, that's what feelings are, right? They'll pass. So what is something that you either feel or believe, uh, think, whatever it might be that just most other people think is absolutely insane? <laughs> hmm. You know, it depends who you ask. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a funny question well, because like... with Paul Cech, I'm sure your perspective <laughs> might be a little bit different. Right, let's go with uh, outside of that realm, maybe. Outside, yeah, you know, that's a good, because like, you know, I've got some buddies, you know, different, different circles of friends right there. It's just like the, 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 the things that I would just, uh, you know, call absolutely normal, whether it's, you know, cold showers. Um, you know, I do a lot of traveling for my work. So my routine when I, when I travel is quite regimented. And like uh, for me, it's, it keeps me quite vital when I travel and where my friends would be like, whoa, dude, that is just way too much. And Organ meats, you know, I, that's one of the, the newer things I've started incorporating quite regularly now. What's I would your favorite say one? liver for sure. Really? From what yeah. type of animal? Beef. Cow, Beef yeah. liver? All right. How do you beef, cook it up? 
So I never really ate uh, any organ meats really growing up. It was just not something I was used to. But uh, my brother's girlfriend who lives with us, she's a phenomenal cook. Um, and she's from uh, her family's from Mexico. So she'll make like the best liver and onions. Uh, she'll make like some homemade tortillas, whether it's at a plantains or some good corn. And so that, that for me, just like uh, with some fresh guacamole, some fresh salsa, that for me is, is awesome. But, you know, I think I've gotten a, a lot more explorative, you know, in the past few years. So, you know, adrenal glands, testicles, liver, like I'll try anything provided it's from a good animal and it's prepared properly. Like I'm totally open to anything. So I would say having a regular routine where I incorporate organ meats has been, has been huge for, you know, my health performance and vitality. Um, usually about once a week is when I'll try to incorporate some amount of organ meats. And that seems for right now seems to, to do it pretty good for me. What is your favorite? <laughs> Bone marrow. Hands down my favorite food in the world. Like not technically, I guess, the same thing as organs. If we're going like internal organ more, kidneys. Ah, okay. Yeah. And how do you prepare that? Uh, lots of butter and some salt. That's okay. it. Just Simple. saute it up. Like, I don't, I, yeah, nothing, nothing special about it. Uh, for the bone marrow though. And again, this is my coup de gras. Like if, if you just give me some bone marrow, I could eat that all day, every day. Uh, <laughs> either just raw, just straight up like that, or just roast it for a little bit. And both times just a little bit of just Celtic sea salt there and I'm good to go. So raw bone marrow, right? Oh is that my what god! It's so you've had bone marrow before. Oh, I love it, but I've never okay. had it raw. So you, when when it's when it's roasted or whatever, it's it's pretty soft. Like it's like a gelatinous butter, I guess, right? When it's more uh, when it's raw, it's like a like a very firm butter. Uh, or if you okay, you have like even a, a thick cut of steak with a, like a nice thing of fat on the edge. Like if you cut through it when it's still raw, like if you're sizing something out. It has that same texture where you can still just pretty much mm. slice through it. And I mean, I just scoop it right out. Uh, yeah, that's uh, I'm in heaven if if that's what I have right there. <laughs> that is gonna be uh, so next. Yeah, this next week I go uh, go up to the farm and I, I'm uh, picking up a whole beef. So I'll get all the bones, all the organs. So I've got some fresh yeah. marrow lined up. So I'll, I'll definitely give that a try. There you go. <laughs> uh, See, so you had me thinking now, like the plantain tortillas, because I don't really do well with corn, so I just avoid it. But I love plantains. Now that's I'm gonna have to look that up because that sounds delicious. Oh, it's a game changer. It's a game changer nice. for sure. All right, so we're talking about food here. We're talking about delicious stuff. What's your biggest vice? Oh, my biggest. It doesn't vice. have to be food. It could be really across the board with anything. Oh man, well I was just thinking like just the first thing that popped up to me was two nights ago. Yeah, man. I tell you what, it's hard. To, I put down a whole, a whole good. My friend makes some some chocolate, so I put down a whole big ass chocolate bar with a few slices of bacon, and like that combination of just salty, sweet. Um, if I want to treat treat myself, like a chocolate bar and some bacon, man. I don't I don't know too much else that that tastes better than that. Now, did you have them separately, or did you like layer the bacon in the homemade chocolate? <laughs> it was pretty much bacon out of the pan, chocolate okay. bacon. Well, no, because yeah. what I'll do is I'll take like the the top of a butter dish basically, mm. and cook the bacon up. Have my raw chocolate, like because I'll make my own, and I'll mm. just put some chocolate in the bottom, put a strip of bacon, some chocolate, some bacon, and then just either put that in the fridge or the freezer or whatever, and then you can slice it, and then it's already good to go. <laughs> oh. 
Oh man, you just caused a problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, maybe it'll get you to do uh, maybe master of sport in like the forty-eight kilo class or something, all right? Ex- yeah, yeah. You don't don't put that out there, man, because you know I'll, I'll go for it. <laughs> hey, hey, it's, it's always worth it. All right, like let's let me let me see what else can we go here. Uh, who who's somebody in history that you would most like to have met? You know, um, I would say maybe Einstein. By far the, the most common answer I get on the show here, Einstein. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it absolutely is. You know, I just, um, you know, I, and I honestly haven't read his entire life story or anything like that, but just, just some of the, the little, you know, gems that you get from, you know, reading excerpts of his, of his work or of his uh, style of thinking. Um, I think it would be an amazing experience to either meet him personally or if he taught a lecture yeah, I think that would be an amazing opportunity for me. I would you love that. Check out the his, the Walter Isaacson biography of him. The Walter Isaacs? I'm gonna yeah, write that. Down. Like every every biography that Walter Isaacson does is amazing. Like he did one Steve Jobs one. Uh, he's done a Henry Kissinger one. He's done Ben Franklin. Uh, I feel like I'm missing another one in there. But everything I read by this guy is just hands down like best biographer uh, that I know of at least. Uh, so that's an awesome one. So then. I always ask them too after this, is the universe friendly? <laughs> it's one of Einstein's fa- favorite things to ask. I, I always have to ask uh, if people bring up Einstein. Is the universe friendly? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think the universe is friendly? You know, I think the, the universe will match whatever effort you put towards your dream, provided you put an authentic foot forward to take that first step. So I would say the universe probably won't support support someone who's just sitting on their ass and just just you know head in the clouds but someone who's willing to take action um and willing to execute and take the first steps towards their dream uh my experience has been the universe will be there to to support you 50 50 so in that sense um you know i would say the universe is definitely you know friendly and there to support uh all right we're talking universe friendly uh i was going to ask you then so that 50 50 balance like simplicity even like what is it about uh, either health or just life in general that people tend to overcomplicate and don't let themselves be that authentic uh, self to let the universe help them out, be friendly? I would say, you know, it has to do, for, in, in my experience and in my life, has to do with comparing oneself to others. You know, as soon as you start comparing yourself to others, you start, you know, you start, you know, getting in the mindset that I'm not good enough or I should be doing more or, you know, um, if I only did this, then I would be here. Um, and it's great to have goals, right? You know, that's, that's, you know, hugely important. But I think once we start putting it, putting these goals in the context of, you know, comparing oneself to other, then it's like, it's very easy to, um, to not want to, you know, incorporate more balance in your life because you feel like you always have to be doing more. Like whatever you're doing is never enough. Um, so just, you know, through, through quiet time and through self-reflection, just, um, you know, reflecting that, that you are enough, um, and, you know, focusing on that and, and to really, you know, I've always been amazed, you know, when it comes to, you know, sports performance specifically, you know, if I look back at, you know, when I was very heavily involved in powerlifting and, and competing at a high level there uh, for over 10 years, it's amazing that when I look back and I still have all my training logs, you know, I still logged all my meals next to all my, even 10 years ago, you know, when I was in high school, I logged everything. And I could see that 
even though back then I wasn't kind of recording the other doctors or the other things that kind of contribute to someone's performance or lack thereof, I've always been amazed that the less that I've done over the years, the higher my performance has gotten. So if you looked at e- even just the total volume in the gym of what I used to do compared to now, uh, you know, very short, honestly, 15, including rest periods of 30 minute max workouts. Uh, I take three days off now. And if I need more days, I take them. And it's been amazing that just to look, just incorporating more kind of whether it's work in exercises or just um, Tai Chi, any, anything to do with kind of adding money back into the bank account has been tremendous to add in more balance. So it's, it's kind of been a, a, mind shift, a mindset shift in the sense that, you know, I don't necessarily need to be working so hard. I don't need to be doing, um, you know, 10 workouts a week, for example. You know, when I'm in the gym, I'm in the gym and I'm fully present. I'm ready to bang. But outside of that, you know, the, the intention is like, you know, restoring and putting back into the system. So I think that for me as an athlete was a, was a huge realization, especially, you know, I, I've always been a fan of, and, and probably, you know, one of the things that I think my, my friends and family or even just other groups would think I'm nuts for is just the amount at which I record. I love being coached and I love, I've always felt like with information, you know, we can make more sound decisions. But if we have no idea, um, you know, uh, where we are hormonally, where we are, lim- you know, how, how we're being affected limbic emotionally, uh, where we are musculoskeletal system-wise, you know, if we have no idea, then we're, we're kind of flying blind. But, you know, I don't think I've given a meal, like a seven or a 10-day meal log to any client or to anyone I've worked with. And I don't think it's ever happened once where a person hasn't come back. And without any coaching whatsoever that we've done, not one person has come back saying like, wow, like I didn't like I didn't learn anything about myself. So I've always felt that you know, with information, we can make more sound decisions. We can learn a lot about ourselves. And I think it, it can become a, a very, a very good practice in just checking in. And when, when you check in beyond just like the physical aspect, then you start getting uh, you start, you know, making some really cool realizations. And, and this is, was one of the biggest takeaways that I've gotten from working with Paul so working with Paul, and again, I love to be coached. And when you have a master coach there and you're investing a ton of your money, I want to get as much out of it as I can. So we would do, you know, as I briefly mentioned earlier, we would record, um, you know, every single day I would record daily readiness assessment, which tracks musculoskeletal system stress, limbic emotional, and hormonal. You know, it's a questionnaire of, I don't know, a total of like 30-ish questions. Then I would also track four doctors' information, so everything that was going on, Dr. Quiet, Dr. Happiness, Dr. Movement, and Dr. Diet. And I would also track my training logs, my performance, how I was feeling, what was going on. I'd also track morning heart rate. And so I'd put it into an Excel doc, and I would, you know, Paul would have access to where he could visit it every day and give you know, coaching if something was going on. Now, what was fascinating and is fascinating to me is you know, depending on what training cycle someone's in, whether it's the corrective phase, base conditioning, sport-specific, pre-competition, the stressors are going to be different, not only in sport, but in life in general, right? Where you are today in one month, you're going to be, the Nick you are today and the Nick you are next month is can be totally different. So, you know, working on that dedicated for, you know, for over two years, it's so cool to see the patterns that exist, not only per training phase, but also per what's going on in, in life. So it's really been a testament to if there's something that is going on, like if I'm having a relationship challenge in work, in, in you know, it, with, with a friend, whatever it's going on, 
I've seen and have recorded, you know, massive spikes in heart rate increase and, and also all the other correlate, uh, correlated factors of health. Also, if I've eaten a food sensitivity, I've gotten, you know, a huge spike in heart rate as well as some of the other factors. So when you do this longer and longer, you know, I've been able to, I can honestly say in my body, which, you know, if it's true for me, I'm pretty sure at some extent it's true for other people that, you know, the, the mental side does play a factor in someone's health and performance. You know, the, the hormonal side does play it. You know, we can't just fly blind. We can't just, we're not machines. And so again, these patterns and, and these cycles with this information, you know, we can make more sound training and more sound life decisions and really connect more so with what's going on inside. Because if we're just a block of muscle, then, you know, that's cool to some extent. But if we want more than that, you know, if we want life after sport, we gotta. We have to look at a little bit more of a holistic viewpoint of things. So, what would you do after you finish competing? Talking about life after sport. Uh, after, if if I were, to, I mean, I don't think I'll ever stop at some level. Um, you know, I, I want to be that eighty-year-old person who is just like healthy, vital, and at any point could enter, even if it was just the bar, could enter an Olympic weightlifting competition. It's just been such a big joy for me. But I would say uh, the most important thing right now. And even moving forward is just going to be to give back to with as much as I've experienced as an athlete, as much as I've worked on, you know, gone through with Paul is to really share, you know, my story and to share whatever I can do to contribute to athletes and, and general, you know, general people out there just to, to not only reach their athletic dreams, but to do so in a way that is more life affirmative. Um, and that brings into a picture that is more global. Um, and that uses, may, maybe uses sport, the, the qualities, the characteristics, uh, the character building aspects of sport, uh, and have them overflow into the other aspects of their life. Um, so really the main thing for me, if I ever hung up the shoes, would just be to give back at a full-time level. Uh, and right now it's just, you know, give back in, in the way that I can at whatever time I can, you know, a lot to that. You kind of touched on it just now and you, you had said something about it before. And I'm curious talking about almost like uh, learning lessons in the gym and then kind of taking it over to being a better husband, father, uh, friend, uh, whatever it may be. What are what are some of those things that you've learned uh, about yourself maybe in the gym and had carry over into other parts of your life? Oh, that's a great question. The, um, you know, I would say first, first two come to my head are responsibility and accountability. You know, whatever it is, um, show up, right? Like, even if you're not feeling well, uh, and maybe that day is not a day to work out, make it a point to work in, make it a point to stretch, uh, show the responsibility that what you put in is exactly what you'll get out. Uh, and it doesn't have to look any certain way, but it just needs to be a present aspect in your life. So the, the commitment uh, the responsibility to yourself towards a greater goal, you know, and, and just being not only accountable to yourself, but accountable to your training partners. I think, you know, I train, I train in my garage primarily. Um, and so I'll have, you know, my client Ada come over, we'll train usually once a week. I train with a kettlebell team, but there's an accountability for yourself to show up, but to also, you know, to, to be that, you know, that other person to, to support the teammate, right? It's, um, yeah, it's, I remember even, you know, why I chose the college I went to was because I was part of a basement powerlifting team. And, you know, I went to a good university, I went to Santa Clara University, but it honestly wasn't so much for me about the education as it was being a part of that family, you know, that, 
that we want to compete together, that we want to support each other. So responsibility and accountability for sure are the first two. And, um, you know, discipline for sure. Um, discipline and, and that, that also extends beyond the gym. Like the, for me, you know, I, I'm a huge on meal prep, you know, to make it easy, especially with such a rigorous schedule. Like, you know, if you don't, you know, meal prep or you don't have, you know, your, your kind of ducks in a row, it's so easy, you know, to, to grab something quick or to grab something that might be less than ideal. So the discipline, uh, to understand that the nutritional aspect is absolutely critical to feeling good, to having your core function and to getting where you want to get performance wise. But also it's the same, you know, it carries over into your, your job and your work environment because if you're not eating right for your body, you're not eating, you know, if you're not supporting yourself nutritionally, you know, there's no way you're going to be able to think or to think at a high level or to think at a high level throughout the entire day. You might need to be popping, you know, supplements or, you know, energy drinks or take naps every 20 minutes. But yeah, the, uh, the nutritional aspect, the discipline around that, putting, putting value in that has been huge. It's been something that maybe started for me in sport, but I've seen it, you know, benefit me tenfold outside of it as well. I think also, you know, it teaches you to work through adversity. You know, I've had, I think in, in any sport at a high level, the risk of injury obviously goes up, you know, that's kind of expected, but in powerlifting, you know, not, I didn't have a torn pec, but I had a lot of issues in my shoulder, um, kind of like minor, minor tears and still got some shoulder instability issues. But it's been amazing that like how much good and how many gifts have come from the injuries I've had. Um, like I never would have, may, maybe I would have, but I don't know if I ever would have been working with Paul one-on-one had I not gotten, you know, injured. And my life's completely changed as a result of it. You know, I got out of gymnastics because I had a pinched nerve in my back and it was during a growth spurt period. And that's when I found powerlifting. And, you know, when I found powerlifting, it was like the the clouds opened up. I was like, wow. You know, I really love gymnastics. I appreciate all movement, especially when it's beautiful. But for me, it was like uh, powerlifting was such an objective way to measure progress. And for me at that age, you know, in, in, at 14, I believe it was 14 or 15 years old, that can be a, a tremendous benefit to, to a kid. You know, you, you know, you know, you're, you know, you're making improvement, right? You're going five pounds up every week or two and a half pounds up every week. It's an incredible confidence builder. So yeah, working through struggle, working, you know, developing character, developing confidence. Those are all qualities that, you know, for me were developed and and are continually developed in the gym, but man, do they like, do they really flourish outside of it as well? You've talked a lot about working in. I'm curious, what, what are some of either your favorite work in exercises or, you also talked about practicing Tai Chi. Like what form of Tai Chi do you practice? My, my favorite, honestly, my favorite, um, my number one work and exercise is just super simple. It's just a breathing squat. That for me is like just getting my, you know, taking my, my shoes off. Apologize to the puppy in the background. It's all right. Mine, <laughs> they pop up all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, just a breathing squat, man. Like I'll just go outside. I got some patch of grass out there and take off my shoes and my socks and it's uh it's a tremendous way just to open up and to breathe uh and to get pumping you know going on in the legs the whole body and also it's it's also one of the drills that i use in in my kettlebell workshops to teach not only breathing but to teach a pattern that is very similar to one of the um the the kettlebell swing movements a variation that i've been working on for a while so there's a there's a huge correlation between that and and kettlebell lifting but for me, it's, um, you know, working in doesn't have to be something scary. 
right? It's like for, for I think a, a lot of even some of my buddies, it's um, it's something foreign, it's something scary. It doesn't, you know, it looks really slow, you know, as athletes <laughs> fast. But I mean, you can honestly take a movement, you know, take even a, a deadlift pattern, right? And just put a dowel rod, you know, use a dowel rod, use an empty bar, use something that's uh, an incredibly light load or no load, uh, ideally. Um, move through a slow range, you know, move at a slow pace and work on your breath, put conscious effort there and just go. And that's, you know, as a, as a side note, that's really how one of the, the, one of the, the best training tools that I learned, you know, working with Paul was, so we, we started with this breathing squat. Um, and so for me initially that was really challenging because in order to be a work in exercise, right, there's, there's criteria that have to be met. So the heart rate can't elevate, the tongue has to stay moist, digestion should improve, uh, and you shouldn't sweat. So to do that, if you're not used to that for 20 minutes, for example, like that's really hard if you're not if you're if you're staying in the work in zone. So you have to learn how to make adjustments, whether it's shorten the range of motion or stop earlier. And so we started with that. And once I was able to finally get up to 20 minutes of a breathing squat, then we started doing it with one very, very light like I think we did like maybe four kilos uh, of a kettlebell swing into the overhead position. And so we worked at a slow, you know, very slow pace, keeping in a work in intensity, but trying to hold that for 20 minutes. Uh, and once I started kind of turning it into a workout, then I'd have to lose the weight uh, and go back to breathing squats. And then that progressed into two kettlebells um, and slightly, you know, and slightly heavier. But ultimately, what was an amazing, you know, exercise for me was, and I, and I wouldn't honestly, even though I'm in a strength endurance sport, I still wouldn't really consider myself an endurance athlete. <laughs> I'm, I'm much more of a fast switch athlete for sure. So for me, this was even more of a challenge. But at the end of the day, I think it was like we got up to maybe just like a 12 kilo kettlebell doing overhead swings for 20 minutes. And by the end of it, I was still in a work in capacity. So you can imagine, you know, and that, that took almost nine months to get to that point. But practicing that, you know, regularly if you're if you're on a platform and you're competing against someone and someone is you know starting to go sympathetic dominance because they're you know they're they're burning out it can be an amazing you know confidence builder and you know while, while the guy next to you is burning out at three minutes if you can still keep your breathing calm if you can still stay parasympathetic i mean the 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 capacity at which you're able to perform will be infinitely greater so to see, um, yeah, just going back to it doesn't have to be anything scary. It can be something really familiar, what you're used to. The intention should be breath with movement. And that's my favorite, man. It's just a simple, no weight breathing squat that I do for anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes. Mike, you've talked a lot about uh, just the enjoying, you enjoy being coached. So we talked about Paul, we talked about uh, your gymnastics coach uh, when you were younger. Uh, any other uh, coaches that, have really uh, helped form you, uh, either younger or any others that you're working with now. Yeah, when I was in, um, you know, when I was in powerlifting, a part of that basement powerlifting club, uh, it was actually in the basement, of, you know, of someone's house, obviously, and it was a key club, and it was by invitation only. There was maybe only like, I think, like 25 of us, uh, and there was like, it took me maybe a year before they kind of like brought me and accepted me as a member. Uh, <laughs> I brought my brother in, and it took him nine months. But really, they you know they wanted to test character and they wanted to make sure whoever every person that was there was, you know, uh, diehard, like diehard to the team, diehard for what we were doing. And the owner of the gym, his name was Steve. Uh, really, I would say, uh, kind of took me under his wing um, and really, you know, spent an incredible amount of time. The gym was called the Palace Gym Barbell Club, 
and um cinder block walls you know very old school you know they they these guys had all been lifting together you know it's some way shape or form since like the 70s i want to say and so to bring someone new into the gym it was is, is like was like a big step for them but uh me and steve hit it off and he was really the one who kind of you know taught me the olympic or i'm sorry taught me the power lifts exposed me to um there's a very very famous and popular gym in columbus ohio called Westside barbell so really exposed me to Louis Simmons' work, after which I went out there for a month to train with Louis. And that's when, you know, after training, especially, you know, with Louis, that's what sent me to that to an entirely next level uh, in, in the sport of powerlifting. So started kind of with Steve, and, you know, I think I was working with Steve for almost 10 years. Uh, and then he moved and closed the gym, but uh, that carried over to working with Louis. And Louis uh, blew my mind. Uh, if, you've ever, <laughs> if you've ever watched any Louis Simmons videos, like... Man, I still have, like, I was actually cleaning out one of my clots. I still got, like, maybe 13 or 14 when they were all VHS before he was. I mean, he was big in powerlifting, but he wasn't, uh, you know, the CrossFit powerlifting guy he is today. And so, you know, I've got all these VHSs. And I remember I used to watch his videos, like, each one at least five to six times long, notepad full of stuff because I was trying to even, I couldn't even not make out what he was saying, but he talks so fast. And he's, you know, he, he, it's just automatic for him um, 30 sentences ahead of actually what he's even saying like it's already he's just going 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 yeah that's that's louis for you um but um you know he what a uh, what a just a an amazing person you know when i was there i remember this was back then you know i was there training twice a day you know he would pick me up i didn't have a car i wasn't driving at that point he didn't, you know, buy, he had no idea who I was. You know, I, I, I wrote him an email or no, I either wrote him an email or called him like a month before or a few months before. And I was like, introduced myself and I said, I'd like to come and train. And he was like, good, come on out. Let's see you. <laughs> so I said, really? So I called him again a week before. I said, hey, you know, I've got my flight book. I'd love to come train. He's like, like I said, come out. So I flew out there without knowing me at all, except he brought me into the gym, allowed me to train there. In fact, he picked me up every single day. I was training uh, twice a day there. Picked me up from my hotel room, took me to the gym, threw me into the rotations. And at the end of the, the stay, I remember saying, you know, so for Louis, like Westside Barbell, and I don't know if it's the same right now, but Westside Barbell, the equipment company, is what funds his dream. His dream is really the gym, you know, and the lifters in the gym. And at the end of, you know, the one month, I said, you know, Louis, like, what do I owe you? You know, like, we haven't, I haven't exchanged, I haven't, you know, exchanged any monetary, you know, uh, compensation for anything we've done. And you, you've given so much to me. And I remember him distinctly saying, you don't owe me anything, man. He says, just take everything that I've taught you, go home and share it. And that has stuck with me. You know, that was when I was, I think 18. So over 10 years ago, and that is something I've never forgotten. So it was, you know, one of the most, you know, generous, kind you know good-hearted people you know whether people agree with his training modalities or not as a person he's just um i, I you know much like paul i've got a tremendous amount of respect for him so i would say steve and, and louis were two of the other you know huge impacts in my life from a from a coaching perspective mike i want to be respectful of your time here this has been an awesome chat one of the last things i always ask people is who would you want to hear on this podcast and what would you want to either ask them or hear them talk about you know, I've got actually a, a good friend of mine. She's on our uh, national synchronized swimming team. Uh, her name is Sarah Rodriguez, and she is, uh, you know, just an amazing, amazing woman. As as hard as if you if you know anything about synchronized swimming, it's like a combination of ten sports in one. 
and the 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 level of intensity and the level of commitment at which these these women train is just will blow your mind. They have to be like elite ball, uh, ballerinas. They have to be like elite gymnasts, elite swimmers, and they're essentially like Navy SEALs of the water. But she, as hard as she trains, you know, we've always seen very eye to eye in terms of you know uh, having a practice of self love, of self reflection, of 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 caring for for oneself. So I would love. To have her on here and um you know i believe she's only like 21 right now at, at, at such a young age you will be blown away at the level of maturity uh life experience uh that this gal has so i would love to hear her on here um just to hear her experience and what you know balance looks like for her or even um you know some of her road is to where to getting her to where she is right now we'll, we'll, we'll uh, have to reach out to her see see if we can set that up uh like in closing where can everybody find more value? What you're working on? Uh, talking about even just some of the workshops, anything like that, please. Yeah, so I, I honestly have like no marketing materials right now. This is all, you know, brand new. But I just threw up. It's very much under construction. But if you go to uh, www.kettlebelllifestyle.com, I've just got just an intro page there as well as some of the workshops that I'll be doing, and I'll, I'll continually be adding to that. But kettlebelllifestyle.com is where people can kind of find me and find more information about me moving forward. Excellent. Everybody make sure to go check that out. Uh, we're going to be looking forward to hearing when uh, the uh, full kettlebell program comes out here, working on the check-ins too. Uh, again, Mike, thank you for everything. Thank you for sharing everything today. Uh, I'm sure everybody can get a ton of value out of this. So thank you again for your time. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to head over to BarenakedHealthPodcast.com to get your top 10 world-class nutrition tips from the experts to help you simplify your health journey. While you're there, go to my calendar and schedule a 15-minute call so we can discuss what is your biggest struggle when it comes to maintaining your health. Also, if the show has helped you out in any way, please head over to iTunes to give the Bare Naked Health Podcast a positive comment and a five-star rating. This really goes a long way in getting the word out with how simple health can be and helping to share the podcast with others. Mm-hmm.